Hey there, listeners. It's Amanda Jensen from Riley Children's. Welcome to the colorectal quiz. Today, we are going to talk about the perineal groove. We have special guest with us, Mr. Jonathan Sutcliffe. Welcome. It's another week. I'm so excited. Mark, you know, we have a landmark episode today. We're crossing crossing rivers, waters, continents. Wow. We've made it big or small, however you want to look at it. Well, honestly, we have now finally gone global with the podcast because our first international guest and expert is joining us all the way from Leeds in the United Kingdom, Mr. Jonathan Sutcliffe. And I say that very specifically because, uh, of course, Mr. Jonathan, why is it that Mr.'s are surgeons in the Great Britain? I think it's to do with the fact that barbers were the um, forerunner uh, of uh, of surgeons. So over here anyway, doctors were doctors and the surgeons came from barbers. So uh, we're all named after those those barber guys. And do you still take your um, your very bloody cloths and wrap them around a pole outside of your office? Or is that because that's where the barber shop twirly thing comes from do you still do that or is that you know gone by the wayside yeah it's an important part of our mandatory training um we we do it tuesdays uh every other week um but never miss never miss that all right well listen we're really thrilled you're here jonathan has been a dear friend for longer than we can possibly admit uh jonathan has brought us a a case that we can learn a lot from and i think the theme might be Knowing when to operate is one thing, but knowing when not to operate is even more difficult. All right, Jonathan, why don't you tell us about the case? If you're in the Stay Current app, go ahead and look at the picture. Yeah, so thanks for the invite. Six-day-old term baby um, on the way over to our center from an outside hospital. Uh, The pediatrician letter to the endocrinologist states, um, that they wonder if this baby's got number one, an anorectal malformation with a very anterior anus, query cloaca, and number two, query ambiguous genitalia. Um, uh, they've done some bloods, presumably uh, sodium, and I know they did do a phenotype, uh, sorry, a karyotype, and then they asked for an opinion. The endocrinologist and the urologist were together, they were doing a clinic. Um, they asked if um, I was around, if I could have a little look. Um, and actually, I, I, I saw them um, just whilst they were waiting to see the endocrinologist. So um, just looking at the, the photo. If you're in the Stay Current app, go ahead and look at image one. It's really important to see this photo because when we talk about it, I could say I did not know of this diagnosis until I became Mark's partner and was entrenched in a tertiary colorectal team where you see lots of patients and have the opportunity to see a whole number of disorders. But this doesn't come into the pediatricians or pediatric surgeon's office every day. So you really need to know what you're looking at. So Jonathan, for those who can't see the photo, um, who have not gotten the app, could you just please describe what you saw? Okay, so we got a female patient. She 
has what looks to be an N-located anus. It looks to be in the correct position with corrugations going almost all the way round. But anteriorly, there is a groove that extends from the anterior edge of the anus through to the posterior fourchette. The groove itself is pink and shiny, looks to be mucosally lined. Uh, the labia look normal and we can't see the introitus fully. That was the finding, although to be fair, newborn baby, probably a little edema at that stage, maybe some hormonal effect, uh, but that's, that, this, is the, this is the baby. She was well, feeding well, stooling well. Um, when you look closely, I said that there, was, there were corrugations surrounding the anus apart from the anterior bit. When you look closely, actually you can see corrugations behind the, the, the pink lining at the 12 o'clock position if you look carefully. We were able to calibrate very easily to an adequate size. It was possible to make a spot diagnosis. Just because we are talking about the anus here, I want to emphasize some information from previous podcasts. So qualities needed for a normal anus is, number one, an anus that's located in the sphincter complex, number two, an anus that is adequately sized, and number three, a perineal body that is present. All right, Dr. Levitt, take it away. So what I'm hearing you say, Jonathan is that this baby has an anal opening that you have determined by visual inspection alone is within the center of the sphincter complex and you have checked it for size. And the additional finding that is confounding everybody, making people nervous about diagnoses like some endocrinologic disorder or cloaca is a mucosal line tract between the anterior anus and the vestibule. And you, and you have concluded with a, quote, spot diagnosis that that is a perineal groove. So that's setting the stage for this uh, condition. Jason, you were going to say something. Well, a couple of things. One, I think describing the anus and where it's supposed to be, like we've done in previous podcasts, is very important. I think we'll include on this podcast a link to people always ask me, what size anus should a patient to have. And so we have a chart that we could include on this of a two month old, a six month old, a two year old, what size the anus should calibrate to uh, using dil- Hagar dilators. All right. And if you're in the Stay Current app, go ahead and look at image two for the appropriate size Hagar dilators based on the age of the patient. And really, what we're talking about is a mucosal line tract cover over the perineal body. Right. It, it's a mucosal line track over the perineal body from what Mark was saying, going from the vestibule of the vagina to the anterior limit of the anus. And the first thing we're describing here is, is first we need to know, is the anus properly positioned? And I think that's what we just discussed uh, and is really important. Mark or Jonathan, do you think Sometimes we have to do that in the operating room or use other modalities, whether it be MRI or electrical stimulation. Do you normally have to do that for these patients or can you do this in the clinic? So position um, and presence of a perineal body, I, I like the way that was phrased. I think you can eyeball it, to be honest. Now, um, with due respect to 
uh, the authors of different papers, I've always found that it's pretty difficult to use measurements reliably. Um, what is the sensor? Where are you measuring from and to? Uh, in a wriggling baby that won't be as relaxed as as he or she might be. I I think measurements can be difficult. So I think eyeballing it is is fine. I agree a hundred percent. I think it's the few cases a year that we see sometimes that are questionable but that might need further investigation. But typically, like you described, the color changes and really trying to get a visual inspection of where that muscle complex is located will give you enough confidence to make the diagnosis or, or the assessment that the anus is in proper position. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I just want to add something. I think, Jonathan, that was very sage advice. You know, we can, I think we can get a sense of anus size and that uh, table that was derived many, many years ago, which related to um, how much to dilate an anus post, post a PSARP, which um, as we're going to talk about in an upcoming podcast is, whether we should be dilating at all is now somewhat worthy of, of discussion. Um, but I think that the anus needs to be uh, supple without any narrowing or stenosis. And I think even if you were to pass a adequately sized Hagar through a stenotic ringed anus, that might not be an anus that functions well. So to Jonathan's point, um, size um, is of value just to get a sense. I think you should know if it's too small. But other than that, there's obviously a very broad spectrum. And of course, the anus stretches. And, and I vividly remember a case where one of our fellows examined a patient in clinic with, um, with, quote, anal stenosis. That was the query by the pediatrician. And the fellow went in and checked with Hagar's and came out and told me, it was all perfect. The kid was fine. And I examined with my finger and it was definitely stenotic. And the it was obviously very important diagnosis because the patient had proximal dilatation and had pretty severe constipation. So just checking with the Hagar sometimes gives you a false sense that the size is okay. I really want to know about distensibility. But um, to Jason's point, you know, this is comes up a lot. Can you detect whether the anus is properly centered in the sphincter just by visual inspection alone. And I think you need to look at some cues and look at the ellipse and things, but if you're not sure, I don't see a problem with going to the OR and doing examination under anesthesia with the electrical stimulation and being absolutely certain that the sphincter maps and when it closes, the hole closes as well. Yeah. All right. So, so your um, your plan for this patient was to um, proceed with the endocrine evaluation and all the cloacal discussion, or did you alleviate the family with your instantaneous diagnosis that all was well? And okay. and, and how did that feel when the family got that wonderful news? <laughs> okay. So. Um... It was a congenital perineal groove in my mind. Um, it actually, there are other scenarios that are like this where there is no objective test um, of a diagnosis. It's just something that you, you're going to make a call on. Um, and if you've got a whole load of other people involved, 
you don't want to be arrogant uh, and say there's no chance that you're, you're, you're going to be wrong. But equally, you don't want to be so soft that they leave with an undue sense of doubt and anxiety. Um, so I tried to, I tried to, to, to address both of those things and was open. I said, look, I really do think this is um, a, a congenital perineal groove. Um, and I don't think you're going to need any major surgery and you probably won't need any surgery at all. I said, I don't think you've got a cloaca and I'd be very surprised if you've got two problems. Um, I.e., my, my boss in uh, Melbourne, John Hudson said, you do not get a morphological abnormality in the same patient. You get an endocrinological um, abnormality. Um, so you don't get a cloaca in association with DSD effectively. Um, so with due, due, due respect, I, I'd said, um, I, don't, I don't think there's an endocrine abnormality here. Um, how did the family feel? Man, they were tense. Um, they said later on uh, how hard it was for the first six days of the baby's life when presumably they got people ringing up all the time um, saying congratulations, maybe is it a boy or a girl? Um, they don't know whether this is a cloaca, so doubtless they'll have been looking this up. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't have thought that would be on the differential, but nevertheless, that must have been mentioned to them. And they were they were pretty scared. So I think it must have been a, a relief to them um, uh, to, to know. Um, we chatted about um, what a congenital perineal groove uh is or was and, and and what if any problems it's likely to cause i don't know about you guys uh i don't think it's a common diagnosis but um i think we're seeing it more often than we used to i don't um can't give you numbers but it's a sense that i've got i remember being caught out uh when i was starting out as a consultant with what i thought was a um a perianal uh, fissure in an older child that just wasn't getting better with anything I did. Um, and, and I'm just holding my hand up. I, I didn't recognize, I didn't recognize it at that stage and I, and I should have done, and I wish that I had done. Um, other people have been misdiagnosed as having perineal trauma or NAI. Uh, uh, it isn't uncommon for non-healing fishes to be uh, the cause and people have described in the literature other diagnoses like dermatitis or, or infection so I think basically if you haven't seen it before it's it's hard to it's hard to spot it. Uh, Jonathan I think you're spot on I, and that's what I during my fellowship and training I had never seen this and it wasn't until I came to Cincinnati and working with Mark that I saw my first one and now I feel like I see less than half a dozen a year. It's not a very common diagnosis, probably even less than that. Probably two, you can count them on one hand, how many you see a year. Um, but it's the ability just to recognize it. You said uh, you said spot on, Jason. That's very British of you. <laughs> um, um, Jonathan, I'm curious to know um, if you have a perineal groove in the presence of a true perineal fistula, meaning the anus is um, not normal. It's uh, very tiny and um, anterior to the center of the sphincter. 
Um, is your management standard perineal fistula fair, or do you also excise the mucosa-lined perineal body? That's a really good question. Um, there's, a, there's a quote from Ed Kiley, who's one of the um, now retired senior guys um, in GOS, uh, which is, what is it that you think you're doing? So I apply that pretty much any time there's any sense of grayness. What is it that I think I'm trying to achieve? Also on whose behalf? So for this, for the, the, the situation you describe, um, I'm thinking what I need this perineum to be able to achieve and whether or not the congenital perineal groove is likely to affect that either now or in the future. So I have had a couple of patients where they've had a congenital perineal groove and a very anterior anus that 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 needed that needed treatment. And um well I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we're going to be very careful with our terminology. That I would call an anterior anus is a normal anus that happens to be anterior. Yeah. A perineal a perineal fistula yeah. is not an anus. If you're going to yeah. give it the if, you, if you're going to give it the name anus in my opinion, that is a hole of adequate size surrounded by sphincter with a dentate line. So an anterior anus, again, to your point from Mr. Kiley, does not need fixing, right? And Jason and I, um, one of the icons in our own training, Arthur Alsis at Mount Sinai, said it's very hard to improve on an asymptomatic patient. Right. So, again, I think that's the same message that um, Ed Kylie was giving. So let's I want to be very specific with my question. The the hole where stool is passing is a fistula. It is fistulous tissue. It is too small. It is not distensible. It is not surrounded by a dentate line and it is anterior to the center of the sphincter. And in addition to that. And that we all know and deal with. In addition to that, there is a mucosa line tract reaching all the way to the vestibule. My question to you is, when you repair the perineal fistula that you, we have all agreed, it's the kind that needs repairing, do you leave the mucosa line tract untouched or do you excise the two millimeter trough of tissue and suture up the perineal body with normal skin? Yeah, so I've taken the trough at that stage. By the way, thank you for pointing out the nomenclature thing. It is really important. Um, and let me just let me also just translate nomenclature um, in English um, is nomenclature. Um, by the way, Jonathan, um, there is a birth defect where the baby's bowels are, are the baby's born and the bowels are outside of the body, but not covered in a sack. What, what is that called? How can you say anything other than gastroschisis? <laughs> Come on, what do you call it? Come on, what do you say? Uh, <laughs> the shisis. <laughs> the shisis. The shyster. All right. So, so because yeah. be, be, the point I'm getting at here is the, the, um, the perineal groove is, is, um, is mucosal lined. And we all agree that if the anus is okay, just leave it alone. And over time, it becomes squamous epithelium and is of no consequence. And I can tell you, I maybe can think of one case where it was an older patient with a perineal groove, 
with a normal anus, and there was a lot of uh, a weep, weeping of, muco, of mucus, and I excised the uh, the tissue. Although I can tell you, maybe I did that once because Let, most of the time it goes away. Let's take a step back because I think we brought up a complicated case, and let's talk about a simple case first because most of the time, like you were alluding to, Mark, patient comes to your office, a two-month-old, a one-month-old, abnormal findings in the perineum. We diagnose a perineal groove. I guess my two questions for the team here are, do you do any further workup once you made your, in your mind the diagnosis of perineal groove? And what is your treatment? Because that's what our families are going to want to know. And so Mark and Jonathan, I ask you, when you have this family, parents, anxious, you're, they're in a surgeon's office, are you doing any further workup? And what is your treatment? So... Um, there's the quote um, that I'm aware of, which is, uh, you go to a bobber, you get your hair cut. So I'm aware that if you come to a colorectal surgeon, we're going to make everything on an ARM spectrum, um, which may or may not be true. So I'd, I don't know what you guys think, but I look at this as probably being the most minor, one of the most minor parts of an ARM spectrum. The reason why I say that is that I've seen uh, two or three that have been in association with either a perineal fistula um, or uh, a rectovestibular fistula. So I've kind of thought, well, seems to happen a little bit more than random. Um, and I'm assuming, therefore, it's part of the Vactorel association. Now, I would recommend doing a, um, a Vactorel workup. Um, on any patient with an anorectal malformation because I think that there's a pragmatic thing, which is if you start bringing in stratification and saying, I'll do a partial one up until that level and I'll do a full one after that, I think the systems trip up on themselves. You know, the registrars or the, the fellows will get mixed up about what you're going to do. And, and then down the line when you're in clinic, you and you want to just make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed for your ARM patients in general. I want to know that everything's been done and it's okay because these are non-invasive tests. Um, and if you've not done a spinal ultrasound within the period of time that each institution's radiologist will probably say something different, but if you don't have it within a reasonable period of time, and a question ever arises about tethered cord, then you can't answer it. So what I ex did was I explained to the family that it's very likely to come back as normal, but because we know that there is an association of different abnormalities that are, if they're there, they're already there, um, that, that it's, I, my routine is to look for them, but it's not because I've found anything that makes me particularly worried. Um, they, they were happy with it. And I think most patients are. What do you guys do? You know, when I discuss this with the family, it's, it's what Mark said earlier. And, and we all, I think it's the common theme of this, this discussion. If it's not broken, don't fix it. And so if it looks a little funny, but is not causing any functional problems, then I don't really aggressively treat it. And I give, um, the cautious care discussion with the family, meaning that if it's secreting a lot of mucus, like Mark had mentioned, 
and causing real irritation and discomfort to the child, then maybe I would excise it. And I think I've excised one in my career so far. Oh, well, um, then, I, then I've excised two. <laughs> oh, we're going to go in. We're getting close to the time of the joke. And my joke is Olympic based because it is the time of the Olympics. So, I mean, because I, I said I excised one. So then you said you excise one. And I said, well, that makes me look very inexperienced. So then I said, I excise two. Yes, of but course. The truth is, the you truth might have even that, helped me excise the first one. So you, no, I, you, I, you, honestly, there have been many that I've seen. Uh, I don't, maybe not many, maybe 20, 25. It's not common. Um, and then I, I've excised one, but it, they had to basically say, I really can't take the mucus. But I do agree, Jonathan, that if I'm already repairing the anus, then might as well just take out that little strip. Um, but, but, you know, who knows, maybe we shouldn't be doing that because most of these will epithelialize, but I, I, I definitely agree with this, um, with the philosophy. And I think we have to make sure uh, people understand and what a shame that this poor baby had six days where the family didn't even know if there was an, a gender assignment problem. And, and just to repeat from the last or two podcasts ago, if the patient has no anus, it's a cloaca with a single perineal orifice. That's what we talked about the last time. But if a patient has a patent anus, a normal anus, and a urogenital sinus, now we're talking about endocrine problems. But this patient, I suspect with proper labial retraction, you could easily see a urethra and a vagina. That is not an endocrine problem, period. Um, and this baby had a gender assignment uh, question in the parent's mind for six days is, is uh, for lack of a better physical exam, that would have been, uh, that would have been corrected. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to reiterate, I'd completely agree with you. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate surgery unless yeah. you think you're going to make something better. Um, I think, uh, and I do agree with you on the Vactoral workup, although it's probably going to be negative, but I, we all have seen perineal fistulas with tethered cord. And I recently saw a patient that did not get the complete workup and happened to have only one kidney uh, on evaluation at the age of six. And that's probably something important to know about. Should have gotten a kidney ultrasound, et cetera. All right. I think we should uh, leave it with that philosophical conclusion of Jonathan um, uh, and, um, very, you know, simple yet complicated case. And we all know that sometimes the most simple cases generate the most discussion and the most nervousness from a family, um, in large part, because there's a fair bit of ambiguity and a broad spectrum of what different people will do for that problem. And that brings a lot of confusion. And I hope this case that, um, Jonathan has brought to us will give some, some clarity. Yeah, I think, Jonathan, this is a great case. So simple, yet can be so complex, just like you demonstrated. A simple physical exam and an understanding of the process and all is said and done and you have a nice, calm, relaxed family. If This is a rare diagnosis. It went down a course that was a little complicated and it required a mister to make the diagnosis. All right, we got a we have a joke for this week. Do you have one? Um, I don't. I don't know if no. Jonathan maybe no. wants to import one for us. Um, you have no, a good joke. 
Yeah. Uh, no, I'll, it, um, it doesn't have to be colorectal related, but do you do get bonus points if it is? <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll have a good think. And if I ever come back, I'll, I'll have a good one for you. Jason, you look like you've got one. I don't have any good ones, but this is being recorded during the Summer Olympics of 2020 slash 2021. And so I have a couple Olympic jokes for us. The first one, what is the best part of an Olympic boxer's joke? So no. The punchline. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I mean, it only gets worse and worse every, every time. <laughs> More? One other one. Why can't tomatoes win races against lettuce in the summer games? Not sure. Because the lettuce are always ahead and the tomatoes are always trying to catch up. (laughs) All right. And that wraps up episode 25 and discussion of a perineal groove. Thank you, Mr. Jonathan Sutcliffe, for joining us today. Uh, Just to summarize what we talked about. So a perineal groove is a rare congenital malformation. It's characterized by exposed wet sulcus with the non-keratinized mucous membrane that extends from the posterior vaginal foreshaft to the anterior ridge of the anal orifice. And the anus can be normal in this situation, uh, in which case the majority of the time with a congenital peritoneal groove we observe it over time and leave it alone and let it epithelialize. It will usually epithelialize by the age of two if there's no surgical correction. And then also in any patient with an anorectal malformation, it's very important to complete the entire evacuatorial workup and all of the associated imaging. In rare cases, if the mucosal drainage is too much for the patient, this would be a situation where you would consider excising that area. But again, very rare circumstance. Until next time, this is Amanda Jensen with Riley Children. And remember, knowledge should be free.